and welcome into a post-game edition of Spits and Suds. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan, and tonight, very lucky to be joined by D Magazine's Robert Tiffin, at Robert Tiffin, to talk about tonight's Stars loss 5-4 to four against the Leafs. How are you, my friend? Doing all right. Doing all right. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, all things considered, it's good. Hockey's back, right? There's a long break, so it's good to have Yeah, good absolutely. To have I mean, it is tough to go back-to-back, you know, coming coming out of that, you know, lengthy uh, break, you know, caught a good one against Buffalo where your goalie won you the game. And, uh, you know, tonight just, so I fight this and I'm being real here as I want to be real as a podcast, Robert. And so I tweeted out very nicely before the game that this was a tough matchup. Basically what I was saying is I felt as though the stars were going to lose this game. Um, so I want to be real with the spits and suds listeners, but I don't want to come across negative. And I think there's a fine line there. I just think, and we've talked about this on spits and suds that stylistically there are matchups throughout the NHL and they posted it on, you know, television during the game that facts prove that, you know, stylistically the Leafs just are not a good matchup for this stars team. It, it, I mean, that's borne out by the numbers too, right? It yeah. seems like it seems like forever. It's certainly been at least a couple a couple years since the Stars have won in Toronto. It might even be pre-COVID. I don't know since they were playing a lot of games in the bubble and all that. But it's been way too long. And yeah, there's something extra frustrating. You know, it reminds me a little bit of when like the Texas Rangers would play the Yankees. And it always seemed like no matter where the Yankees Point. were, if they were kind of on the downslope or they were kind of at the top, you always felt kind of like, come on, you know, they should be able to beat these guys. And there's always a lot of frustration there. And, you know, even as flawed as the Leafs are, and, you know, a lot, the Canadian press is great about telling that story. It always seems like the stars come up short against them. Yeah. And Mike Heike tried to ask this question after the game, and I don't know how much it related, but it is interesting. And it's funny you mentioned the Yankees, because when you play teams like the Yankees in baseball or when teams play the Dallas Cowboys, there's always that ramped up effort and when you look at the the stars as a squad uh you know i don't have it off the top but i think six players are from the ontario area and i I just wonder you know if that creeps into their head and the extra pressure you know of playing against toronto in toronto the mecca of hockey it was just a you know it's just a thought and it's always cool when they uh when they play toronto but i thought the stars played a real good first period Robert and then I think the Leafs changed their style and I thought the Leafs brought out the physicality that fourth line of Toronto didn't play much at all during the first period and they threw them out there in the second and the third and I thought it was a difference maker I thought that the Leafs kind of got their legs through physicality yeah, in the first period, one thing I noticed is that it 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 looked like, you know, again, watching on TV, I always want to be careful because you're not seeing the whole ice all the time. But it's really, really jumped out at me that the Stars really frequently had a guy at the far blue line, like stretching the zone, they call it. So that kind of forces the Leafs to have at least one guy back there, right, making sure that guy isn't wide open for a breakaway, which means that for when the Stars are trying to exit the zone, they had the option of a, of a long stretch, stretch pass there but it also meant there was more room breaking out from their own blue line. And it seemed like that worked really, really well for the stars because they were getting tons of chances in transition, depending on, you know, whose scoring chances you track or whatever. It was something like, you know, five chances for the stars for every one of the Leafs or something like that in the first period. So in, in a sense, it felt almost 
it felt almost a shame for them only to be up 2-1 after a period in which they really more or less dominated the Leafs, um, yeah. especially at 5-on-5. Five five. But, of course, it only took a few seconds in the power play for the Leafs to, to keep things close. Yeah, let's start there. Joel Hanley gets the start. Nils Lundqvist sits. Um, I mean, hindsight 2020, but I don't know if Nils Lundqvist would have been any worse tonight. <laughs> you know, I just felt as though, yeah. I mean, high sticks are going to happen, but you know, one thing against this Leafs team, you just can't take penalties, you know, or you have to yep. reduce them. You know, I mean, they're just so talented. Even if they're down on the power play, there's just too much talent on the ice. Um, they spread themselves out well. They play so well together. Um, you know, maybe Tavares had his best game of the year. Um, you know, he's been absent from from this Leafs team. But, yeah, I mean, just when the Stars committed the penalties, you know, three for three. It, it is interesting that a penalty kill that was so good, Robert, all of a sudden has done, you know, just the opposite now. And it just it's amazing how many goals are being let up. Yeah, the penalty kill has to, you know, I mean, they, they, DeBoer was pretty clear about it in the post game too, that that was a, a big, a big problem tonight. I mean, anyone looking at numbers can tell you three for three is bad. Uh, it doesn't take too much math to do that. Uh, but it was also the way they did it. It didn't even take long. It wasn't like, oh, they, you know, had shots from the point, they were generating stuff and, and, you know, they just went through or they found a hole. It, it did, they, uh, they had three penalties, Toronto did, and they scored on all of them. So that should be six minutes, right? For two, three uh, minor penalties, they were they only spent a minute and 50 seconds on the power play because Amazing. they were scoring so quickly. I mean, that's like, it's only taking, you know, 30, 40 seconds to score on a power play. That's, again, you know, maybe there's some film going on there where they've they scouted the Stars PK. The, the numbers I think I, I saw are something like the Stars opponents are eight for 13 in the last few games. And in fact, the, before tonight, the last game the Stars had lost was against the Islanders who yeah. just didn't get a single power play. So, you know, credit to the Stars. They've been fighting through this for a while. It's one of those mm -hmm. things where, like, sometimes it catches up to you, right? They've found ways yeah. to fight through giving up power play goals and the penalty kill being leaky, but it hasn't really been a focus too much. It's kind of been there. You know, you've heard people talking about it, but tonight it really felt like the the check came or the bill came due a little bit, and uh, they didn't have enough. They didn't have enough elsewhere to compensate for it. Yeah, I felt as though this would be a quality win against a good opponent. Nothing against Buffalo. I know they won two in a row prior, but, you know, they're not in the playoff chase. And they just don't have the stars that uh, Toronto has, although a lot of them are, you know, coming up. Um, so I thought tonight would be a real nice uh, win. I, I agree with you. Um, I feel as though the penalty kill has kind of not been talked about due to the team playing well. One of the other aspects that I think hasn't really been talked about is the effectiveness of quality teams first line against the stars. Mm -hmm. That that's a really good point. And it's especially because the stars, you know, it wasn't that long ago when the stars were, were that really top heavy team, like the Leafs, right. Where I think yep. the, I saw a graphic tonight where, Thomas Harley would rank like fourth on the Leafs entire team in goal scored or, or fifth or something. Cause you have the big four for Toronto with, with, you know, Marner and Matthews and uh, Nylander and Tavares. And then Harley would be right behind Tavares um, on the team and scoring. So they're really top heavy, but the thing is the top is really heavy. Matthews has 40 goals already. Right. I mean, it's just, or 30 or whatever. It's just ridiculous. Right. So when you're, when you're that top heavy, it can get you places just like the stars used to have with, uh, you know, Ben Sagan and Radulov a few years back. 
and then, uh, you know, Hintz and Pavelski and Robertson for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, tonight would have been a great night for, for Hintz or Robertson to, to step yeah, up and get yeah. just one to balance that out. Because like you said, these, these teams, when their top line gets going for whatever reason, it does seem, it does seem to, to shake the stars a little bit. Yeah. Jason Robertson with just an assist. Wyatt Johnston, uh, with a goal mm. and, uh, Rope Hintz, uh, with, uh, zeros across the board at a minus one on the ice. So, you know, and I thought, I thought Johnston had a really good first period too. He was looking really good. He was fighting yep. for pucks. I think he really had a good game, but that line overall, and I, I really tend to think that of those three that you mentioned, yeah, I, I think that Hints and Robertson kind of stick out as uh, Robertson in particular, maybe as not having their strongest game, which is unfortunate because Hints really looked like he was ready to go. He was generating yep. a lot of stuff tonight. Yeah. On that game breaking goal, which made it four to three, um, actually got a, a nice text from Luds. And, you know, he showed me Mason Marchment completely lost his man. Oh, on that it was play. bad. It was bad. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Oh, man. Marchment. I, I wrote Marchment's name down in kind of my post game notes here because Tough night. You know, he was his name was coming up a lot. Uh, I'll give mm-hmm. him that. You know, he was he was going back and forth with McCabe. Right. He he took a, a high stick yep. and a bad cross check from McCabe early. And then he kind of got him back with a with a late hit that wasn't called. And, you know, it bloodied McCabe pretty good. Right. And then uh, then it was kind of, you know. Uh, open season on Marchment for the rest of the Leafs. And it seemed like at that point sure that Marchment had a couple mistakes where he wasn't ready for a puck coming his way, or he seemed to be thinking more about that, you know, from an outsider's perspective, right? He seemed to be thinking more about that than about positioning and lanes. Agreed. And and that really costs you when when you're a top six player. Uh, you you have to have your head in the game, especially a game like that where it was seesawing so much. That's all it takes, right? One moment like that and all the momentum you just got from the Dadanoff penalty shot is totally gone. Yeah, I love the fire of Jake McCabe tonight. I mean, boy, he's only 30 years old. I feel like Jake McCabe's been in the league for a long time. <laughs> he, um, has that, he has that, uh, you know, that dad strength about him, right? Where you just figure he's the the old old bull, young bull sort of deal. Yeah, yeah. Actually, as I look at it right now, he's been in the league 11 years, so he has been in there um, uh, uh, for a while. But I, I will say this, and maybe analytics will tell me, you know, Gavin, you're too old school. And Robert, I will say you're so good at analytics. Uh, that's why I love following you and having you on the pod. I do feel as though if you're getting pushed around, you have the tendency then to go where you're not necessarily um, the physicality is less. And toward the end of the game, I just felt as though the stars were taking a lot of shots from the outside and you know, not necessarily you know, causing major scrums in front of the net. I felt as though all the late shots, even though Wyatt Johnston got one through, you know, they were all pretty much from the outside. Yeah, I think part of that is the Leafs. I think they did, like you were saying, they just they made some adjustments after the first period considering how badly the Stars were kind of outskating them. And so I think they adjusted their neutral zone positioning. And they also, uh, when they got the lead later in the third period, they were also keeping keeping a forward back a little bit more or higher in the zone, right, when they were in the offensive zone. So it was harder for the Stars to find their way through as opposed to earlier when the Leafs were forechecking harder. Once the Stars turned it over, they were able to go pretty quickly. Yep. Um, and so when you get those lanes open and, early and then they're closed later, I think that is the natural tendency to think, oh, I guess I just need to skate faster and find those nice open lanes we had earlier uh, when really, yeah, you kind of need to buckle down at that point and, you know, find a way or make a way. Right. Um, And instead, it seemed like it seemed like they were a little reluctant to do that, partly because that's how the stars play. 
under Pete DeBoer. They're really big on generating a good quality chance. He doesn't want him just, you know, skating the puck down the wall to the to the red line and just toss it into traffic out front. He he really wants them to to generate actual chance. And you know, that's worked well for him this year. But that was the time, right, where you you want to see someone like Marchment, right? You want to see a big body up in front of the net really fighting to actually find something and they had a few times where there were pucks there was one i think it was about two or three minutes left there was a puck sitting right by the left post uh by samsonov and you you were just waiting for one of them to find it but they were they just couldn't they just couldn't get to it partly because you know they're occupied with the other very large men (laughs) battling them in front but yeah yeah, that that's crucial especially in those situations and that you you just see more of that in the playoffs too yeah also hated to see when the stars were killing a penalty hakampah had the puck um Toronto came from behind, picked it, and it resulted in a goal. Um, I know he didn't have like a lot of time to clear it, but you know, the opportunity was there probably. And, you know, really solid career from Yanni Hawk and Pa. But at, at this point, Robert, I mean, if they do acquire a defenseman, I know there's the, you know, Hanley Lundquist and everything, but for everyone that doesn't like Ryan Suter, I'm clearly playing Ryan Suter over Yanni Hawk and Pa. It, yeah, it's all about roles because it worked well earlier in the season, right? Sure and they did. always said if you could put Suter on the third pair, you know, with Lundqvist or someone yep. like that, and then if you you get enough from from your middle pairing, right, and then you have your top pairing be really dynamic with, you know, and that's what they're they're saying about Harley, right? You hear that pretty consistently that as long as things hold together, then they can afford to keep Harley and, and Haskinen together. But it seems like you know the cracks are starting to show. I mean, really, I think it was Saad Youssef who, who tweeted after the game that essentially, if you're not getting great penalty kill contribution from the Lindell Hockenpah pairing, then what are you getting from them? Because it, you're not getting at five on five. Certainly tonight, they were they were by far the Stars' worst worst defense pair at five on five. At least in terms of you know when they were having to defend shots. Of course, they're going to start in the defensive zone more, but but they they weren't transitioning the puck the other way very much either. Overall, it was it was the Stars were getting hemmed in a little bit with them, and. I mean, but but the thing is, Ryan Suter isn't a solution on that second pair either. You can't really put him with Lindell Correct. because he's he's not much faster or anything like that either at this point in the year or at this point in his career either. And you know, certainly as the year goes on, he gets worn down. So you just come back to the same thing we've talked about for a lot of the season, which is that the stars need something on D. They need more on D. And you could move the pieces yeah. around that you have now. You can you can kind of hope and pray that Niels Lundqvist turns into a top four piece, but it seems pretty clear that either in the coach's perspective or in reality or both, he probably isn't going to be threatening a top four spot this year, which means they need help. And, uh, you know, we've been saying it for a while. Yeah. On the post pod last night, uh, Jordan, a big spits and suds listener, uh, really sent a nice, well thought out tweet. And he said, what about Eric Johnson, um, from Buffalo? And yeah, he's a right handed defenseman, but he's a third pairing defenseman on Buffalo. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I I love the thinking bigger defenseman, lots of NHL experience, won a cup in Colorado. However, I also look at it and say, okay, that's not solving my problem as far as pairing with a Haskinen or, you know, a Thomas Harley and kind of providing that depth. That's right. Um, So I think, you know, that's, you know, if, if we want to give like a late round pick, sure. That's that's not some bad defensive depth, and he's a bigger guy. But I just don't think that solves the the issue that the stars uh, uh, have right now. Yeah, I think I think if you had to had to really reduce it, then you would say probably of the star six defensemen right now, you 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 can see your way to Essa Lindell being a being a solid second pairing defenseman. I think it's fair to say that you could have a championship team with Essa Lindell on your second defense pairing, but his defense partner needs to have a 
a, a skill set kind of like Thomas Harley. I mean, Thomas Harley is unique. He's he's fantastic. He's really good. You don't there aren't a lot of Thomas Harleys out there, and the ones that are aren't available. But you need a defenseman who's a little bit more mobile and also has size. They they tried the Lindell Lundquist pairing a few different times, and it just hasn't clicked for whatever reason. You know, the coaches would be able to tell you. Um, and the numbers kind of bear it out, though. It hasn't been all that successful. So you need a pairing, you know, a Stephen Johns, right? Uh, oh, for Stephen Johns to have, oh, have his career go a different way because he would be the perfect person to have on that pairing, right? He was never going to be a, a top-pairing defenseman. I mean, maybe, but, you know, they always wanted him with Haskinen. But he's a top-four defenseman always. He, he always was and he that's the sort of player you'd love to put next to Lindell and they could yeah. soak up a lot of minutes they don't need to you know win you a ton of games but they're definitely going to prevent you from losing a ton of games so uh you might have heard me um throw out the name Adam Larson from Seattle yeah um good I, player. Uh, yeah good player uh solid good size six three uh right hand is shot 12 points in 50 games but he's a plus four on the ice um you know me, I love my plus minuses. <laughs> hey, Dodonov was a plus three tonight, which is an accomplishment, which is an accomplishment in a five four loss. <laughs> uh, but I do think, like, when you talk about those categories, I do feel as though Adam Larson fills that void. You have to worry about the salary, and he does have next year as well. So you are getting him next year, which would be nice. However, that means the price tag goes up a little bit. And the question is, is, is Seattle making a run, or do they want to dump some of their players, or do they want to keep Adam? Larson around next year but that's kind of the player I'm looking at a guy who you know for Seattle I mean you know logs a lot of minutes on the ice and is just you know solid I mean I'm looking at his um, last few games uh, let's see 22 minutes 24 minutes uh, 25 minutes so mm -hmm. you know Adam Larson can play a lot of minutes uh, I just think the question is, is what's the price tag if there is a price tag at all? But, you know, that's kind of the player that I'm looking at that's more solid defensively will allow, you know, more of an offensive game from that other side, um, you know, and at, at the same time knows where to be and is not going to get uh, caught. So, yeah, that, I mean, he'd be a great fit. And but the question then is, OK, what what would Seattle want to move him? Because there, every team would love Adam Larson. First round so pick. Come back to the same thing. They'd want a first round pick. And yeah. you probably need like a, a Matej Blumel or, or yeah. someone, or I mean, at best, right? That That's probably their fourth strongest prospect maybe in the system right now. Um, and that's at best, right? But if you're Seattle, you ask for a top three, right? For Bixel or or one of the one of yeah. the Cedar Park kids. Um, and I mean, yeah, first round pick, the star is already thin on picks, but now feels like the time, right? And also you have to ask yourself if this is really the piece the stars need. The, everything else seems pretty much in place, right? If this is mm -hmm. the piece the stars need, Thomas Harley's there. You get you get uh, Larson. You could even you know toy with the idea of put him up with Haskin and right and move, and move Harley down to the second pairing with Liddell yeah. or whatever you want to do. I I don't know that I'd do that. Even tonight, Harley and Haskin looked really really good for much of the game. I just love that pairing. But, yeah, I like uh, it too. You have to ask yourself basically. It's going to have almost like a Joe Newendike type price, right? Where you're trading a young Jerome McGinley. That's sort of a uh, good point a price and you have to ask yourself how sure are you that adam larson will be you know that yeah. new and dyke type piece right he's not quite to that former superstar tier right. kind of new and dyke but on the other hand he's a defenseman and he's a really good one so right and what i like is is that if it's not this year at least you have him next year as well yes yes so, so I, that I, does I, feel I, a little bit more like a jim nail move in that sense yeah yeah i i do like uh filling that void so you know spits and suds listeners just keep an eye on that